0: We're going to do something this morning uh, because uh, it uh, has been declared this morning that uh, today is a day of prayer for the president. And uh, I believe it was uh, Franklin Graham who declared today uh, for churches, for Christians, for those who uh, believe in intercession to uh, pray for the president. Um, And uh, it doesn't matter if you like him or if you love him or if you don't like him, or don't love him. I say that seriously. There's a, there's a lot of division in this country. Uh, but the Bible tells us that, we're, uh, that a king is placed where he's placed by God. God knew what he was doing. And so And what it is for the people of God, what is their responsibility? And that is to hold up those who God has placed in leadership it is our responsibility to pray and intercede for those who lead uh, a nation. And so he needs our prayers. He does. And so we're going to pray for uh, our president this morning. Uh, Let's just bow our heads. Father, we just thank you, God, that we live in a country where we are free. And Father, that freedom has come at such a high price throughout the the decades and, and, and the centuries, God. Father, we just thank you, Lord, because you've placed us in this place, in this country, in America, the United States of America, for such a time as this. Lord, we know that you are sovereign and that you're moving uh, in the spiritual realm and in the natural realm. We see that, God, and we know that, that you are uh, on the move in your church and that you're, you're calling them to arise and shine For their light has come. So, Father, this morning we we lay aside any distraction, we lay aside any preconceived notions, we, we lay aside our own ideologies, we lay aside our preferences, and we call out the name of Donald Trump this morning before your throne. God, you know what he's walking through. You know what he is going, uh, what is coming against him, Father. You know what is good, what is evil, and so on, Father. But we just pray, we lift him up to you this morning, God, that you would give him strength to lead this nation, that, Father, the righteousness would come from the White House, that, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in the White House as it is in heaven. God, we just pray that he surround himself with the people who are looking towards you, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, that he would just uh, make a, a good decisions and have wisdom and discernment for this country. God, that your people would rise up and support uh, the, the righteousness that's coming forth according to your will and according to your word. God, I pray for revival. I pray for reformation. I pray for a move of God in the name of Jesus in our government and in the White House and in Congress and in the state house. God, that you would move by your spirit, move by your power, and move by your authority and that you would use your people, God, in such a way that they would be voices of light and truth standing the gap, standing the gap for your kingdom. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Mm. All right. Are we good? Good. All right. So we're going to continue our series uh, this morning, uh, Make Space. And uh it was uh, this is supposed to be part two, but I think I'm already on part three or whatever it is. I, I'm not sure if this is going to be wrapped up uh, even in in, uh, in the time that I have allotted. Uh, but uh, we're going to go ahead and and, and just kind of keep going through this because there's some great principles. Involved in this, and really, what we're saying by make space, and I apologize if that's a little bleated out. Um, it uh, it says make space on there, um, but over the last uh, couple of weeks, what we've uh, what we've been discussing and what we we've been talking about is making space, like between our ears, basically making space up here helps us to make space here because God wants all of us. God wants to. Uh, totally abide and dwell in us. And that means that it's in every area of our life, uh, our relationships, our, you know, our, our, our workplace, our, what we do for a living, all those things, including our finances. And so uh, we are to make space uh, because he's given it all to us. He's a giving God and uh, he gave it all for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He has given all there is to give, and so we have all that we need. When we realize who we are, we understand what we have. And so we are to face our financial fears uh, with faith. We are not to have that fear that sometimes comes when it comes to our uh, our. Pocketbook, or our checkbook, or even uh, how God is supplying. We are to face all of our fears with faith because faith takes out fear. And with faith, God can open windows, open doors, and bless us in a way that we can't contain. Uh, With that faith, we also are a giving people. Just like God is a giving God, we're a giving people. And it's about giving, not just of of our finances, but also it's a giving of all of who we are, all of ourselves. It's the New Testament covenant in giving. He owns it all. He owns everything. And so when we have that perspective, we have no problem being good stewards for what he has given us, trusting biblical wisdom and how he's taught us to uh, do with what we have, be content in what we have, and actually give from what we have. So we learned all these things over the last few weeks. And so we're gonna, we're gonna continue to build upon that. And I wanna read to you this scripture uh, Matthew chapter six, nineteen through twenty-one in the Passion Translation it says this, and, and you know this scripture pretty well. It says, Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself for yourselves that cannot be stolen, and will never rust, decay. Or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. How many of you have bought a new item in the last year? One or two of you. How many of you have bought more than one item? Okay, yeah, yeah. We know Glenn has a new motorcycle. Yeah, we know that. Uh it's uh, if I can get you to drive that on the stage sometime, I'm I'm gonna do that. Okay, all right. Be like Evil Knievel. Some of you don't know who Evil Knievel is. <laughs> um so if you've ever bought a or, or have purchased a something new, I, it, it comes to me uh, to my mind when uh you get like a new car. Uh okay, and uh there's a saying that when you get a new car, there's a new car smell. And uh, when you jump in the car, you smell that, and you're like, ah, new car smell. I think they have little fresheners that you can put in your car. It's not the same? Okay, all right. Anyhow, yeah, especially if you haven't vacuumed or cleaned it in a couple years, you know, it just doesn't mask the smell. Uh, old Burger King bags in the back seat, and you know what I mean. But if you ever bought a new car, thing, like a new car, there, there's, a, there's a sense of, of and I say, I say this, there's a sense of sort of happiness that comes with something new. There's something, there's something interesting about that. When we purchase something and we have a possession there that we get, that there's some sort of sense of, 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 of happiness. And, and I, I would dare say that some people think that they may receive joy from something new that they've purchased. The, the, uh, the truth of the matter is this, that anything that you purchase, anything that's new becomes what? <laughs> it gets worn out. It becomes older and it loses that new car smell, so to speak. And so, when we own something, when we buy something new, and our happiness and some sometimes even our joy is connected to that, then what happens is that when that thing gets old or it gets you know uh, just more common and it and the, the newness of the whole the whole experience wears out, it means that that happiness and maybe even that joy that we might get from that fades away. And that's really what, the, what this scripture is talking about. It's saying uh, don't hoard yourselves or don't invest or don't do things that, of earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. It doesn't mean that you don't own things or you don't possess things or you don't invest in things. But what it means is don't let your heart be connected to those things. What it means is don't let the desires of your heart be temporal and not eternal. Get, you know, it says to, to, to put your heart on, on heavenly things, things that can't be stolen, that don't wear out, where the newness doesn't wear out. That's what it says. It says where your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. So the question is, what really is our heart treasuring, or what really is our heart putting value on? You know, the the, uh, average American really is drowning in stuff. Let me give you this statistic. I thought this was incredible. If you combined all the self-storage facilities in the United States, they would be almost the size of Las Vegas. That's 83.3 square miles. You see, in our culture, not only do we feel the drive to just to buy new things or to get new things, but we have a hard time letting go stuff either, right? Oh, Lord, if you own a storage shed, don't, don't take me wrong for that. I mean, I'm not condemning you or anything. You might want to get rid of some stuff, though. All <laughs> right? I mean, I have a shed. I got to keep my lawnmower in there, maybe a couple other things, you know. Um, But we feel driven to make uh, more and more so that we can get more stuff uh, that we think we might need. Sometimes that can be uh, really a distraction from things that really do matter. It can keep us from doing what God might be calling us to do in our lives. In fact, it usually does keep us from being effective uh, and, and, and really living and expressing uh, the spirit, you see, the Bible says a whole lot about about this about this behavior. And uh, we cannot, when we're drowning in stuff, it, it, we we cannot get our joy from possessions. It just doesn't happen. It's a, it's an out of balance life. It's one that 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 is uh, misappropriated and misaligned and and misplaced. Affection, so to speak. You know, Matthew 16, uh, 6, 19 through 21, again, it says, for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. It's hard to make space if we're constantly pursuing things that have no value in the eternal. It's hard to make space when we're constantly bringing in more into our space or into the room. Do I need stuff to make me happy? You'd all say, no, pastor. We know that. That's 101, like Christianity 101, right? You don't need stuff to make you happy. Or what about this question? How much stuff do I really need? Hmm. Thinking through these things will help us find balance and gratitude. We're going to talk about balance and gratitude Paul in Philippians chapter four, verse 12 through 13 says, I know what it means to lack and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ, explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. You see, Paul writes this because he learned something. He learned that contentment, was a posture, or contentment was an attitude first. It was up here that he learned to be content, whether he had a lot or whether he had nothing. He learned to be content. I'm gonna throw up this, uh, this principle here because I think it's really awesome. It says this, gratitude and moderation, gratitude and moderation will lead us to contentment And contentment is the exit gate for the cycle of consumerism. In life, we are either producers or consumers or both, right? Not either. We're both consumers and producers. Are we more of a producer than a consumer? I would would tell you that it comes to gratitude and moderation and having that attitude or that thought of contentment. Our culture, it doesn't celebrate contentment. No. Never once have I seen a commercial on TV that says, I know you're content, don't buy this product. I know you're content with the car that you have, so don't worry about 0% financing. Just keep driving what you have. Never seen that commercial. <laughs> It'd be pretty funny if, you, if it was there, right? It's not celebrated in our culture. We're, we're taught to, uh, to, to work and to impress other people, really, with what we can purchase or what we have or what our possessions are. In fact, there's a lot of people going around that will ask you, what is your net worth? Many times when I talk to young people, I, you know, I say, well, do you know what net worth is? And it's awesome for, for me to be able to explain really what net worth is. It's not really how much money you make, it's how much you keep and how much you give of what you keep. That makes the biggest difference. So there's a lot of people out there going around uh, trying to impress others by what they have or how much uh, they, uh, they have accumulated. That's not what life's about. It's hard to think that our value might come from what we can earn or how many hours in, in a week we can, we can work or how much stuff we accumulate in our, in our garage, in our shed, and, and so on and so forth. But when we look at the scriptures, when we look at these verses, we see that God's word values not the status of our lives. Never once did he say anything about socioeconomic status. No, he doesn't even look at that. But he says that he looks at our heart and the way that we live. And and if we're living the actual way, who is Jesus Christ, that is what he looks at. He looks at the heart. So I would tell you this morning, if you don't get anything, get this, that learn the secret of contentment because when you learn the secret of contentment of what you already have, what he's already blessed you with, I'm here to tell you that he will open the windows of heaven, it says in the word, and he will bless you with more than you can contain. Cease struggling with wanting more And be content, Paul says. It's not something we're born with. It's something that with God's help can be learned and developed in our lives. That's the awesome news. So how do we do that? There's three things I want to share with you this morning. Three things that will help you change your mind and help you make more space for the development of contentment in your life. To be content. I will refuse to trade self for stuff. I know that says elf. <laughs> to bear with us on the technology here. Refuse to trade elf. <laughs> That's funny. Refuse to trade self for stuff. Jesus once asked a very important question about our relationship to our stuff. He said in Mark eight thirty six. In the Passion Translation, for what use is it to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life? It really comes down to misaligned needs. That's why I spoke about that uh, just a little bit earlier. Misaligned needs. What exactly am I saying? What I'm saying is this, that sometimes our misaligned wants can become our misaligned needs. What really drives that? What really drives those things? Well, first of all, it's how we think we look. Many of you in this room I know have, have, uh, have learned this lesson through life, through experience, through maturity. It's not about how you look but sometimes we're afraid we'll let people down. Maybe it's it's, uh, our parents, or maybe it's a spouse, or maybe our mentors, our teachers. We feel pressured to be successful and show in a tangible way how we're successful. It's not about how we look. Sometimes... What drives misaligned wants and needs is contemporary pressure. We're afraid of, of, of really what that might cost us if, if we're not keeping up with the Joneses. That's an old expression, in case you don't know. It's peer pressure. Maybe we're afraid that we're not keeping up with our, with our peers. We're making these comparisons not out of contentment, I would add, but out of how we think we look. You know, there was a time where, where when I got a, think about things that are new, when I purchased something new that I, I like to, to go out there and I'll, and I'll admit to you, I like to parade it around and I bought a new lawnmower and it, it was like top of the line, you know, all this stuff on there, turn the key, you know, I didn't even have to bend over, whatever and I'm just like, yeah, and it's like, How silly is that how silly is that and God just said you know what it's not about lawnmowers what it's about talking to your neighbor while you're mowing your lawn so he began to to work in my life and he began to work in my heart he began to work on things that it wasn't about how I looked or what the stuff that I had and I still have the same lawnmower ask my son and I'm nursing it along. Some little oil here, some spark plug there. Sharpen it there, you know. Clean it up. Take care of it. He gave me this awesome lawnmower, you know, just way back twelve years ago. I'm still I'm still working with the thing, and I'm just like taking care of it. There's a principle there. No longer was my heart about I got a new lawnmower. Woohoo! It was more like. I thank you, Lord, because my lawnmower is still running. You gave me this lawnmower. And it becomes a source of, like, uh, not pride, but of accomplishment uh, and of success because I'm content with what I have. I don't need the newest, latest, and greatest. This is a weird message for some of you, I can tell by the looks on your faces, but hear me out. God is saying this, be content with what you have. Be faithful with what you have. Celebrate what you have because he's given it to you. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what he does after that. But I can tell you his word says he will bless you with more. When you're faithful in those little things, he will make it so that the bigger things will come into your life. Are you hearing me this morning? Another thing is an attitude of lack. We can be afraid we aren't enough with what we have. We've, we give in to, to sometimes envy and, and those things, and that's an unhealthy uh, ambition. You do have enough. Where you are right now, God has placed you and he's given you enough. Enough. And then this one, our net worth is not equal to winning. <laughs> Money and possessions feel like a way to prove that you're winning at life. As long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth, you're going to be, always be chasing the next dollar. Rick Warren said this when, he, when he's speaking about this. This is a quote. He says, your yearning power when misaligned, will always exceed your earning power. It'll never stop. So our prayer this morning in this is that, Father, align my heart with yours. Align my mind with yours so that what I seek and what I'm after is only what you seek and what you're after. That the desires of my heart are the desires of your heart and that what I value in my life and in my heart are the things that you value. That they are things that are eternal. They aren't things that 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 fade away. They're not temporal. But God, that I would yearn for you and not things. That my heart would be set uh, just... Uh, seeking and only what you're doing, only what you're saying, that I would yearn for you more than anything else in this life. You see, there's a lot of Americans paying a a, a huge cost. In America, we spend 103% of what we make. We feel compelled sometimes to buy before we can even afford to. I've said this before, at Lisa and I have this this, uh, this agreement, and she's over in Denver right now on a, on a, on a trip with her friend, and and uh, and and we, we we send each other messages and it's it's like we have this agreement. Anything that's over a hundred dollars, we don't buy unless we talk about it. Now you can have any amount, maybe ten dollars, maybe a thousand, I don't know what it is, but when you're married or have a relationship, it's important that you make decisions together. And so we have this rule that if we're gonna purchase, so she sends me this picture of something she wants to purchase and I didn't know how to text back. Sure, baby. <laughs> oh, goodness. What is it, $101 or what is it that you're talking about here? Uh always have some basic principles in your life that make sure that you don't spend more than you make. I've said this already before a couple of weeks ago. If you're married, chasing material things can hurt your relationship. In fact, one of the leading reasons for divorce really is money. Not because money is evil or not because money is, it's neutral. It's not, it's not evil or it's just neutral. It's because of the lack of understanding of what kind of tool it is. And it could even be the love of money. Right now, the average, let's just keep talking about this, the average American works 47 hours a week Right now that's that's most it's more than most countries not all but most countries in the world those those hours are not spent with families or serving our communities or spending time in communion with God. Work and finances are the two leading causes of stress in America. 75% of doctors visits involving symptoms and conditions brought about by stress. The cost of not having our desires and our minds in alignment with what the Lord is saying is very high. It can cost us our very life. Let's look at some scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four through six. And I saw that toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy or of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It's really good to provide for your family. It's good to provide for your family. It's good to be able to bless others. But what motivates us to work and what priority that we give it is very critical. It's important. God wants us to have equal measure of hard work and peace in our lives. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing then? What exactly are we doing? When we find ourselves in a cycle sometimes of consumption where even our paycheck may not go far enough and the work never seems to end, it's important to ask ourselves some questions. What are the most important things in my life? These are rhetorical questions. How does that, how does what I am devoting my time to align with that? Do I find joy in what I'm doing? And is my work balanced with contentment? We need to refuse to trade who we are for stuff. We are to be content. Listen, there's a couple things I want to share with you before we, 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 we close here. Um, one of them is this. Use money, don't chase it. Use money, don't chase it. Money's not the problem. Money is not the problem. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's not the problem. The real problem is the love of money. You see, money promises a lot but it doesn't guarantee happiness. It doesn't bring peace. It's a means, not an end. So when we, when, we th- when we talk about making space, it really is about understanding that money is something to be used. It's not something that we chase after. And then finally, enjoy what I have. You know, I have a dachshund at home, and um, he's just... He's a little guy and he's pudgy, and uh, people see—is he a dachshund or is? I'm like, yeah, he's just an overweight dachshund. If he was like, uh, you know, most dachshunds, when you look at them, uh, miniature dachshunds, they're—they um, look like one of those really skinny Nathan's hot dogs. Okay, this guy is a brat. <laughs> He just like you know he's oozing out over his collar, and I remember my sister coming to our house one time. and She's like, "Stop, stop barking at me, you little fat thing, you," or something like that. <laughs> or like, you little, you little tubby thing. He is. He just kind of um, sleeps and eats. And uh, one of the things that I notice about him is he's a dog, first of all, and as dogs are, they can't wait till the next treat or the next meal. And uh, uh, we when we were going to give him treats, we stopped giving him those really fatty treats. But when uh, when we were giving him treats, we, uh, we'd say, you want a treat? And then he'd get excited and he'd come and he'd know what that is or whatever. And pretty soon uh, when I asked my son, did you give him a treat? He'd go crazy. He knew the word treat. So I'm like, well, let's just stop saying that word. So I'd say, did you give him a T-R-E-A-T? And here the dog would come and I'm like, whoa, he's amazing. He could spell. Really what it was about was how I was saying it, you know what I mean? But there's one thing about giving him a treat that I always noticed and sometimes even now when, I, when we feed him and that's this, um, is that he just can't wait for that treat. He can't wait for that next meal. He just can't wait. And then when he gets it, he doesn't even taste it. It's like And we're like, "Didn't you even enjoy that?" And he's just looking like "When? When? When? When's the next time?" It's like instantly. And sometimes they can even choke on what you're giving them. What am I saying? No, we're not all miniature dachshunds. We're not dogs. Yeah, some of us are are short and chubby, yeah. Low to the ground, I get it. (laughs) But understand what I'm saying here, that enjoying what we have, God doesn't want us to live that way. Every moment of our lives is a gift. God wants us to enjoy that appreciation for what we have is as important as controlling our desire to always have more. This ability to enjoy what we have is actually a gift that God has given us. Embrace that gift. Ecclesiastes 5.19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. This morning we're going to take communion um, and I want the worship team to go ahead and come on up as we prepare to do that this morning. The entire worship team, if you want to come back up. As they do that, there's just one more thought I want to to share with you and it's the key really to uh, enjoyment of what we do have. And I sense that there's been a, a really just a common theme uh, this morning and really going into the last couple of weeks. Um, and it's one of be thankful. I think uh, Julie mentioned it this morning as well. It's one of being full of gratitude. The key to enjoyment of, of what we do have is this intentional gratitude. Gratitude. It's intentional gratitude. It's such a powerful thing. It's purposeful. It's a choice. It's something that we need to practice. And I'll tell you, the, the, there's nothing more intentional that we practice other than communion. Communion has so many different layers to it, we couldn't possibly go into everything that it really truly means. But one thing we need to take away from this morning is this, that as we make more space for him right here and right here, that we need to be intentionally grateful. We need to ask for God's help. We need to ask him for help to enjoy everything that we have in life. You see, your carnal man, that old man that has been put to death when you receive Christ continues to be brought out. We bring him out by how we think. We bring him out by what we say. We bring him out by how we feel sometimes, or what perspective we have. We need to ask God for help to enjoy everything in life. Second, we need to start thanking God for every, everything, for every good thing, for everything that happens in our life. We need to find somebody who we're accountable to. Who are you accountable to? who are you accountable to for your gratitude that you express or don't express in life? Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe it's your, your, uh, your, your best friend. Maybe it's a, a good friend. Maybe it's a pastor, but be accountable to someone to share with what you're grateful for, not just to know whether or not you're being full of gratitude, but to express your gratitude through. And then get together with your families. Thanksgiving isn't the only time to do that. Come together. Most of you have families, extended families, grandchildren, those who are uh, always in your homes or coming around you. Most of you have that. Be thankful and be intentional about speaking gratitude to the Lord in your meetings and in your comings together and your gatherings. Be appreciative of what God has done. The more you do this, the more you appreciate these things, increase will come to you. And its I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your, your life will be full of what we talked about in the beginning, contentment. When you intentionally have gratitude, contentment will flood your life. And there's nothing more tranquil than contentment when you're sitting by yourself before the Lord with Him, fellowshipping Him, communion with Him, and you're just content and at peace in life. I'm telling you, that's exactly where He wants you. Forget about the stuff. Forget about chasing those things and just tap into him and his peace that surpasses all understanding will bring the contentment that you're really searching for julie said god is good all the time and all the time he is good make space for contentment don't trade yourself for stuff don't use money Or don't change it. Use money. Don't chase it. Enjoy what you have. These will activate intentional gratitude in your life. Aren't you thankful that he's a giving God? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. We are so grateful to you this morning. We're so grateful for what you've done. So far this morning, we go into a time this morning of remembering you, but also understanding that we're partaking of all of who you are as we take the elements this morning. Thank you, Lord.